everyone. Welcome back to the CTYA podcast. We are so glad that you joined us here today. Sit back, relax, get out your favorite pencil, your favorite notebook. May you be blessed in the Lord. Greater than anything that comes against us in life is our God. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brother McGrath. Thank you, worship team. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to be in church. Amen. I'm going to do my best to run at you quick and uh, finish up tonight, let you, uh, let you go home. Uh, I do have something that I want to share from my heart. Uh, I, I'd call this tonight the stealing of a storm. The stealing of a storm. Let's go to the Word of the Lord. We'll go to two places. We're going to spend the majority of our time in Mark chapter 4 tonight. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. And if you're new to the church, I just want to go ahead and uh, give you a wonderful doctrine to cling to. It's called the sufficiency of Scripture. That everything you need, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when you repent of your sins, and you're baptized in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ, and you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, the very presence of God that comes in to help you walk in a way you can never walk before. After that, He gives you the gift of His Word. The sufficiency of Scripture is simply this, that everything I need for life, He's given me in His book. And that you get to spend the rest of your life diving deeply into the Word of God. So not only do you have the power of God in your life, you have the direction of God in your life. And He'll give you everything you need to accomplish His purpose. Turn to your neighbor and say, everything you need is right there in that book. Turn to him and say, it's in that book, Sister Girl. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. We'll go to 1 Timothy 3.16 and then Mark chapter 4. We'll read 1 Timothy 3.16. I'll read that in your hearing quickly and I'll let you be seated. Some of the most looked for words in Pentecost. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Turn to your neighbor and say, Amen. 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 You can be seated. Amen means it is so. You lend your consent to the reading of the Word of God. Amen, amen. So I, I love this particular passage of Scripture that we're going to deal with tonight. I must confess to you that I, I put together a lesson and uh, revised it and revised it. And then this morning got up and scrapped the whole thing and started over. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's just Brother Kilman. Really is like herding cats in my brain. But I do feel like I have something I want to share uh, that will be beneficial tonight. I, I love this particular passage of Scripture. We, we love this uh, imagery and the truth that it conveys uh, from the Word of God. That in Mark chapter 4, Jesus steps to the bow of a ship and says, uh, Peace, be still. How many have ever gained comfort from that little passage of Scripture, that statement, that revelation that God can uh, step to the bow of any metaphorical ship in life and say to any storm that we're facing, Peace, be still. 
I, I think I, I want to do something a little, uh, a little pointed tonight. Uh, not that I've ever been pointed in this class before. <clears throat> but I, I do want to think, I, I'll get to the depth of what this miracle is for. Um, to do that tonight, you're going to have to go quick, quickly with me. I'm going to not maybe have as many stories, Brother McGrath. I'll try not to diverge and tell too many stories on Joel since he's in the room. But I think we, we look at this stealing of a storm and we miss the greater context of the passage and I think we miss the revelation it's intended to convey. So I want to do this really quickly if the Lord will help me. I think I would say the stealing of the storm, maybe a subtitle would be Why Weak Disciples? And then maybe add to that Christ's solution. And so when we look at this, I, I will just do some apologetics up front. There are many unique features that are captured in this little portion of Scripture, a, a section of this we're going to deal with in Mark 4, that where uh, you can see that it indicates that this is an eyewitness. This is somebody telling the testimony, Brother Herbst being on the boat. And you can see that where it says that same day in verse 35, or even as he was, and, and other little ships in verse 36, or the hinder part of the ship, or the fact that Jesus was laying on a pillow in verse uh, 38, that, that he addresses the fear and, and gives a rebuke and addresses the confusion of the disciples in verses 38 through 41, shows this is not just someone crafting the word of God as a political, Sister Drigger, some type of response, to current situations that Mark's coming up with his own initiative as a sermonizer to inspire his own community that's under growing persecution, uh, a, a neat little nifty Jesus story. That's not what's going on here. This is uh, someone who has been an eyewitness, and John Mark's gospel was, uh, uh, Scripture indicates, was the testimony of the Apostle Peter. Peter was on the boat, and this is true history. The reason we know this is these little incidental details shows, uh, but train knows somebody was on the boat. Now that's so filled with apologetic worth that I'm just going to have to leave it tonight and just remind you in passing that there are so many details in this book that we call the Bible, we realize that God has watched over it in such a way, no one can reduce it to a human construction. Don't tell me about Paul's rhetorical strategies. Paul wrote as moved by the Holy Ghost. And, and, and this is what's going on in this wonderful portion of Scripture. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 3.16, there is a critical text read, and uh, this is just for the nerds in the room. And, and, and that doesn't agree with the Texas Receptus reading. Theos is in the text. That's the Greek word for God. For when it says God was manifest in the flesh. It's not the critical text reading, Brother Herbst, of who was manifest in the flesh. Brother McGrath, that's a difference between affirming the fact that Christ was God manifest in the flesh and the fact that an Alexandrian, probably Gnostic heretic, didn't like the way the Bible read, so he changed the text. That's why you've got to be careful which translations you pick because the Greek underneath them are not the same. Because there were uh, people that didn't like the fact that you said God came in a body. How many of you know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that He became the flesh? When God saw that no man was worthy to step in, I'll try not to get on the Godhead tonight. But He loves you enough to say, when I can't find an intercessor worthy, I will robe myself in flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, and He did that to save us. 
We're going to see that that revelation is critical to understand uh, because the disciples miss the revelation of who Jesus is and that's why they have problems with the storm. I'm going to prove it to you. I'll, I'll just uh, throw one more thing out to the nerds in the room. Ecclesiology, uh, I am thankful, does not eclipse Christology. Ecclesiology is a study of the doctrine of the church. Uh, if you'll, and, and Christology is a study of the person and work of Christ. If you'll let me put it in kind of our common everyday vernacular, the real weakness of disciples is not overcome by the victory that can be found in Christ. I'm just going to tell you, that gives me, this story gives me a, hot, a lot of hope because I've struggled to understand who Jesus was in my life. I've struggled to believe that He really can deal with some of the difficult issues in my life. And that struggle does not take away Christ's availability to give me victory. He can help me as a weak disciple. Alright, so let's, let's dive in before I get to my altar call. What is, it, what is the larger context of this storm miracle that's performed by Christ? We can see it in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says, And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there were gathered unto him a great multitude. Great multitude. Now, William, what does that mean? That, that, that this is not just a, uh, like a small class at IBC. This is lots of people pressing on Jesus and trying to be ministered to by Jesus so much that he has to enter into a ship and, and set in the sea and, and uses that natural kind of amphitheater so that the whole multitude is on the shoreline and he began to teach them, as the Scripture says, many things by parables. Now, why parables? Right, so we're going to teach you a little bit before we get to application. Uh, you should say to yourself, why did Jesus teach so much in parables? And it's two, there's a twofold purpose, to reveal and to conceal. Now, what, what does it mean, Brother Kilman, to reveal? To reveal to the disciples, those eager to know more truth, God is going to show uh, something through the parable. It's going to be, Sister Savannah, that a hungry heart can hear in such a way and listen in such a way and have an open heart in such a way that they can receive something out of the parable. So it's there to reveal to those eager to know the truth, more truth. But the same story, the same parable, also, uh, Brother Benson is meant to conceal. Conceal what? That, to conceal from others who are not worthy of more truth. Now, I know that's not politically correct. We got Jesus as a little picture of a, uh, uh, maybe we put him in the manger at, at December, and then we put him on the, on the you know, neat, neat little teacher on the seaside somewhere, and then we put him on the, on the cross mostly, and that's where we leave him. He is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the head of all principalities and powers. He's not on a cross anymore. He's resurrected as the Lord. And so what we have to realize is uh, those that don't really want to know who Jesus is, their, their problem is with Jesus, not your teaching. The reason some people say, I just don't see it, is because they're not hungry enough to receive what God would give them. Now, I'm, I'm going to try to help you in terms of your outreach tonight. Uh, so what is the difference maker, Brother Kilman, from falling into these two categories? Uh, the difference is simply this. Who is hungry for more truth? And who is acting on the truth that they already have? And that's what we're going to see in Jesus when He begins to teach. Brother Hudspeth, He says, those that are hungry and are acting on the truth they have will receive more. Right, so, let, let's, so the disciples 
come to him after he starts teaching these parables, parable of the sower of the seed, and when they begin to ask questions, and when he was alone, it says in verse 10, that they, they were uh, about him with the 12, ask of him the parable. And he said unto them, I don't know if you highlight in your Bible, I highlight. I've highlighted this, where they say, uh, they ask him of the parable, and he said unto them, Jesus' answer is, unto you it is given to know. I've highlighted that. I want to be in that category. I want to be on the category that when the Lord has something that He wants to share, I can hear. But then He says, it's unto you, given unto you to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But, and then I've highlighted this, unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. The Greek word parables means veiled speech. Why? It is hidden from their eyes because they're not hungry enough to see. And then Jesus says, quoting Isaiah chapter 6, that seeing they may see and not perceive. He says, and hearing that they may hear and not understand. Have you ever wondered why you can be in the same church service or in the same particular young adult lesson and it seems like the Lord is speaking to you deeply and somebody else just never seems to get it? It's because of something deeper than the lessons being taught. When they get the old guy in the room like me and he's up there kind of ranting and raving and trying his best to communicate, I'm not going to do that perfectly. The problem is not the deliverer. You ready? The deliverer is incidental. It doesn't matter if I'm in here or the youngest man or woman in this room is up here delivering the Word of God. The seed will always accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. The question is, what kind of soil does the Word of God fall on? So Jesus begins to say in Something like this, Brother Herbst, I think he's saying his teachings and the miracles that he's already done, it's enough. I've already demonstrated enough in my ministry that you should accept me as the Messiah. And he says, not to believe on him at this point, puts you in a category of Jesus saying, I have no further responsibility to reveal more to you because you're already condemned. Turn to your neighbor and say, wow. All right, so let's, let's dive in. I promise we're going to get to a good spot. All right, let's look at the explanation Jesus says of the sower, the seed, and the soils. He deals with this in verses 13 through 20, and I'll just give you one verse. Verse 13, he says, And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? If you don't understand this one, he says, How then will you know all parables? And so Jesus begins to give them the explanation that the determinative issues of the Word of God being received by people is not about the Word itself, it's about the soil. And he says there, there he gives four different kinds of soil. He says the, 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 there was the seed that fell by the wayside. Wayside is the hard pass. It's, it's where you would walk down the roads to sow the corn. It becomes hard because people have walked on it and it's too hard. And the Word cannot take deep root in a hard heart. And what Jesus is saying is that some people are too hard-hearted, not hard-headed. It's not an intellectual issue. It's a heart issue. Now, I'm going to try to help you tonight. 
Uh, don't you be discouraged when hard-hearted people will not receive the word of the Lord because they've hardened their heart against God and said, I will not. Your job is not to convince the hard-hearted. Your job is to sow seed. And the promise is, is you're going to get the seed number four. There are hungry people out there that want to know what the word of God says about their life. Can Jesus make a difference in my life? And they will find it because they're hungry. They're so hard-hearted. Then he said, those that are on stony ground, they uh, accept it initially. It goes into the heart, but because of these deep-rooted rocks, Brother Benson, in their heart, there's no roots. It doesn't go deep. And it's indicative of fast growth. It's like a shallow profession where somebody comes in overnight and, and it seems to be like they can get a lot with their emotion, but it's like emotion without commitment. And then the Bible is very clear, Jesus says, and then when their persecution comes for the word's sake, then they stumble. They would love to have Jesus and never be confronted on the college campus. They would love to have the word of God operating in their life, but they don't want a family member to ever look at them crosswise. Can I, can, I, can I let the Word of God come into my life, Jesus, and somehow keep all of the friendships I have in my life? You might as well go ahead and mark it down. If you're going to serve the Lord, you will be persecuted because He was persecuted. You're not going to be as perfect as Jesus trying to walk in this new life. So go ahead and know that people are going to be offended at you. If they were offended at our Lord, they're going to be offended at you. Get over that and say, whatever it takes to serve the Lord, I'm not going to let any persecution come against my life for the word's sake it calls me to deviate from what God wants to produce in my life so when you go on campus you have to guard your own heart you have to know that taking stands for the truth in the right way now remember offended for the word's sake not because you know you shoot your mouth off or something dumb turn to your neighbor say is that you you know don't do it brother Hussey I repent I don't do it So, so on campus, it's, if you'll forgive me for this illustration, I, I, I taught biblical studies at uh, Calvary Christian School for uh, five years, juniors and seniors. I miss it to this day. I've been at IBC now uh, two years part-time, uh, 13 years full-time, 15 years. Somebody's getting old. I'm pretty sure it's my wife. <laughs> She's not here. I can say whatever I want. As long as you don't tell on me. Hallelujah. Ready, Thank you. <laughs> but I, I've watched kids at CCS. Calvary Christian School. And I have watched where you think it would be, and it is a strong, I mean, 80% of the school has to be students that believe the apostolic doctrine. They keep that place strong. But even there, there are hard hearts. You get every kind of the four soils. And I've watched as young people have had to learn, even at Calvary Christian School, so definitely at a public school where I grew, went to school, I went to Indianapolis Public Schools, God help me. <laughs> and he did. And, and, and being a witness in those contexts, you ready? It's not hard, but I'm going to give you what the old timers say. You had, to, you had to choose to serve God hard because if you serve God hard, it's easy. If you try to serve God easy, it's very hard. Why? Because you're trying to fly covertly under the radar somewhere. Instead of looking somebody right in the eye and saying, I'm an apostolic, I serve the Lord, there's some things I don't do. And again, some people can't serve the Lord because when they have persecution in their life, for the word's sake, 
They don't have deep enough roots and commitment to allow what God wants to flourish in their life. And that stony ground prevents them from letting that word of God take deep roots and produce what God wants. And then thirdly, and I'll try to hurry, thorns. Some fell among the thorns, the stuff of life. So, uh, and, and Jesus tells us, well, what do the thorns represent? The deceitfulness of riches. And I'm not saying you can't have stuff, you just can't let stuff have you. And he says the lust for these things. Lust is, uh, don't let anyone take that word away from you. Okay, we're, we're forgive me, Brother Hussey, let me know if I step out of line. But you're, we're, we're, we're adults here, right? We're not down in the youth group. I can talk plain. You know what the difference between lust and love is? One has commitment attached to it. One is an act that only wants to consume the other person for its own pleasure. The other is an act that says, this is one more way of saying I love you and I'm committed only to you. One is based on a rich commitment that goes deeper than just the pleasure of the moment. And this is what Jesus is saying. When you begin to lust after wealth, when you begin to lust after things, I've watched young adults go to college and all of a sudden the number one goal in their life is not serving the Lord anymore. It's how much money can I make and how can I get ahead in life? I'm going to tell you, it's more important for you to get ahead in eternity than you to get ahead in life. And if you just surrender your life to the Lord, He can bring more into your life than you could ever make in terms of money. And I'm not saying you can't have money. I'm just saying, what do you worship? What's the number one master passion of your life. And then of course, Jesus says encouragingly, thank God, that there's good ground, Brother McGrath. There'll be people that will hear and accept and obey and bear fruit. So what Jesus is trying to do here is he's setting up kind of this moment that we're going to get to about the storm by saying something like this, that I, I, there's going to come a time in history, uh, it's called the great white throne of judgment where everyone will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thankfully, if you're in the church, you're, you're going to rule and reign with Him. You're not going to be at the great white throne. You will be standing with Him in judgment. And what that means is uh, every heart, the reasons for rejection will be exposed. And, and everyone will know it's not the seeds issue. It's not the words issue. Uh, it's like Bertrand Russell, the classic uh, uh, atheist who was much smarter than anybody we have today. Who was an atheist? Forgive me for that. Sam Harris. But it's like uh, when Bertrand Russell was asked, what would you do if you stand before God one day and you realize that you were wrong? And he put on his best British air and he said with condescension, I would just tell him, sir, you did not give me enough proof. Well, the reality is Bertrand Russell spent a lot of his life arguing against the God that he doesn't believe exists. And the fact that he spent so much time arguing against something that he didn't believe exists testifies that he's consumed with the idea of whether or not there is a God. I don't believe in leprechauns. I don't write books about them. I don't debate about them. I just don't believe in them. 
And I know that's a little hysterical, but I do think the confession of their own mouth and the confession of their own time is to argue against the knowledge that they know on the inside. But there will be a day called the white throne of judgment where everyone will stand. And that hard-heartedness and that shallow commitment and that too much love for the world will be exposed as the real issue. It wasn't a knowledge issue. It was a hard issue. And what Jesus is saying to his audience is, we are all one of those four soils. He wants us to test whether or not there are competing affections for our life. If if our, our zeal for the Lord is being crowded out by money or people or acceptance. And then he goes, and I, I'm hurrying to a close. That's false. <laughs> trying. In verses 21 through 29, he talks about the responsibility of receiving and sharing the word. You don't lie to light and put it under a bushel. He says in verse 23, if any man hath ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, take heed what you hear. Wow, what advice. He says, with what measure you meet, what you pass out, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. Now what is he saying? Jesus is saying something to his audience like this. Don't hide what you already know about the kingdom. And as you begin to face life and challenges and share truth to those that share what they already know about Jesus, more will be given. You see what a promise that is? You're like, well, Brother Kilman, I'm not as smart as you. I, I can't articulate the truth as well as you. I get it. You don't have to be a Bobby Kilman. The world can only take one of those. But God is saying as you begin to share and you begin to act in your life, the, okay, you don't have to know everything about Jesus yet, but are you obeying what you know right now? You say, I don't know everything about God right now, but are you being obedient to what you know? Because as you obey, He promises to give you more. There will be a harvest, Jesus begins to talking about, and a reckoning. And, and, to, and, 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 and then he starts talking about the seed and the sower. And you look at 4, 26 and 29 on your own, and he says, he's saying something like this. The farmers don't know it all. They just, brother, uh, brother, brother Trainer, they just sow seed. They don't have to know how the seed goes in. They don't know what we know now about German, uh, uh, all the, well, whatever it is, the Germanization, I think is the word. I don't remember. And they, how all of that happens? You ready that whatever is in the seed is already there to create the growth? And, and Jesus is saying the farmer doesn't know that. He just sows the seed and the word works. So have faith in the seed and all you need to do is sow. Get over yourself. I remember I was doing a, a camp uh, with one of my heroes, uh, Brother Wayne Huntley, uh, pastors in, uh, pastor retired now in North Carolina district superintendent there, and I remember uh, he was talking about as a young man, he began to share this with me, he said, Brother Kilman, I, he said, I was a young man, a young evangelist, and I was invited to do a meeting, uh, first time, one of the first ones in my life on a large scale, and I know what that feels like, hallelujah, I'm like preaching with him, and, uh, and uh, he said, you know, what's fascinating, he said, this wonderful man, he, he named a, a wonderful preacher in our movement, and I'll not share too much of the story, but he said he was preaching this masterpiece, and I had to follow him. And he said, I was so paralyzed, I literally could not stand up. He said, I was so overcome with fear in that moment 
that I, I couldn't physically respond. He said, in that moment, he said, the Lord gave me a vision. And he said, I saw this hand come across. He said, and I could see on the back of the hand age spots. And, they were, and it was casting seed. He said, and then I saw a young hand. And it was casting seed. And he said, the Lord said to me, the hand doesn't matter. It's about the seed. If you can just understand, all I got to do is get over myself and begin to talk to my friends about Jesus and share my faith at work and share my faith on the college campus or wherever the Lord plants me. Begin to talk to my family members about the goodness of God. As I begin to sow seed, the seed is what's important. Not even your delivery. Because what's in God's word will find deep hearts. And, and we don't have time to deal with it tonight. But I'm telling you, every once in a while, God lets you see how powerful what you share is. But you don't even know. You walk away and you don't see what God does. And I think we do have some... Uh, I think we have to be careful. I, I, want, I want you to be trained. Thank God for this group. And I appreciate the Hussies and their sacrifice. And uh, looking forward to what Brother Ranking is going to bring to us this weekend. But we can... We can every once in a while get into what I'm going to call the paralysis of analysis. It's like, we're going to have a, we're going to have a, uh, a teaching session. We don't do this here, thank God. And we're going to talk about the 700 steps to evangelism. And you're like, okay, okay. I think I'm on like step three. I'm already lost. Hallelujah. We need 600 pages of, uh, of research on how to disciple. You know what you need to do? You just need to start talking to people. You just need to go ahead and start with what you have now. And as you begin to share your faith now and sow the seed that God, He promised you, He'll give you more in the process. That it's going to come to a harvest and it's going to be a, a large thing and birds can come and, and, and you're ready. It's going to build something big if you can just get over yourself and sow seed. God said He'll bring the harvest. He said, uh, and that's in verse uh, 30 through 32. And He says in uh, verse 33 and 34, He says, and with... Many such parables spake he the word unto them. Now catch this little phrase, as they were able to hear it. The question is tonight, are you able to hear? That depends on your heart. And so he says, uh, the Bible says, but without a parable spake he not unto them. You don't want to be a part of the them. He says, and when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Then we get to this miracle. The Bible says in verse 35, in the same day, everybody say the same day? Same Jesus is exhausted. He's, uh, he's given his, uh, he's preached that whole day, the day before, and, um, and he gets on one side, gets on a boat, and he's going to uh, uh, leave from the west side to the east side. It's kind of like the east side. Uh, there was less people living on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. You can see that from uh, uh, Mark chapter 5. And Jesus needed to get away. And uh, thank God uh, for a rest. He had ministered all that day and the day before, like I said. And the Spirit inspires Mark to write this wonderful little phrase that... Uh, uh, the even was come. It's evening time. And Jesus is removing himself temporarily to rest. And all the ministers said, thank God. <laughs> and then in verse 36, it says, even as he was. They took him even as he was. He was exhausted. He was tired. He gets on the boat. They don't carry him. That's speculation. Forgive me for that. But he was tired and weary. 
they put him on the boat. And verse 37 says, And there arose a great storm of wind. And now, you know, it's easy to read this. I was reading this today, and I was drinking a cup of coffee. I'm like, ooh, great storm. No, just another cup of coffee. That's terrible. <laughs> but you know, there are storms that come in our life. I, I remember uh, had some wonderful friends uh, put us on uh, Lake Superior, and uh, I try to keep that private. Uh, some wonderful people blessed our life. And my wife, Amy, and I were uh, there on Lake Superior. I, I didn't realize it was one of the, uh, considered by some the most dangerous water in North America. Shocking to me. And I thought, wow, this is beautiful. What are they talking about? I mean, I'm sitting out there. I walk out of the nice little place we're staying and I go out and there's, there's Lake Superior. And it was beautiful. I'm like, they're crazy, man. I'm climbing all over the little beach area. And, and then there was a storm that came in. And man, I was standing there and the waves are crashing. And uh, I got this picture in my mind of the laws of nature. And that there are some things bigger than us. And that we mess with them at our peril. That's why I think social engineering is a dangerous thing. You had better talk to the creator for every aspect of your life. Because incorrigible laws of nature exist. And we run against them, against those rocks to our peril. And so this great storm of wind comes and the waves beat into the ship and, and it says, so that it was now full. That's a dangerous situation. Verse 38, it says, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And, and they awake him and said unto him, this classic phrase that we've heard, and forgive me, but taken out of context a lot. Master, carest not, thou not that we perish? It's the same kind of reflection that you can see the psalmist in Psalm 44 saying in verse 23 and 24. Uh, Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore, hidest thou thy face and forgettest our affliction and our oppression. The psalmist is saying the same things the disciples saying. Why? Because it's the human condition. That... No matter how much we know about Jesus, when we hit our storm, there's always going to be a temptation to doubt. When that happens in my life, if you'll forgive me for speaking as a 49-year-old, I realize that when I'm overcome by storms, it's inevitably because I have lost sight of the promise of Jesus to take me to the other side. What does that mean, Brother Kim? And I think it's interesting to me that, uh, Sister Sellers, that Mark alone records the disciples' rebuke of Jesus. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? Why, why would they do it? Well, first, let me give you some point. Number one, it's wrong because of who Jesus was. You ever disagree with Jesus? You ever questioned in your little prayer room that you don't want anybody around? You didn't pray like that in the prayer room at Calvary Tabernacle. <laughs> they call it a prayer closet on purpose because I'm hiding because I don't even want you to think I'm backslidden because I'm so overcome with my issues. I have to be real with the Lord in my prayer because He already knows what's in my heart. Right. And then secondly, they, the disciples at this point are really showing they don't know who He is. Despite all he's done, they still don't get it. Thirdly, 
They have a misperception of Jesus because of this storm. Why? Because he's not acting upset. He's not running around in the ship with us worried over whether or not the storm... Why aren't, you de- why aren't you taking me out of the storm? How many of you have ever been tempted to think that Jesus should never let you go through a storm? The reality is then nothing's developed between you and him and you don't get a revelation of who he is. It's not fun, but it does teach us and we see them rush to wrong conclusions that he's somehow unconcerned about our safety, our peace, our situation. If you really cared about me, Jesus, you would take me out of my storm. Don't you care? You see the contrast. The disciples' fear and Jesus' lack of fear. Their bewilderment and his clarity. This one man I think rightly said, It was a cry of distrust, but one often matched by believers today in difficult circumstances when they feel the Lord has forsaken them. What does that mean, Brother Kilman? I think it means something like this, Brother Hussey, that we can sometimes forget during times of testing what we've learned during times of teaching. And that information is not always formation unless we let the Word get deep down into our heart. I'm going to come to a close if uh, somebody can help me. Who, who was playing that? Thank you, Sister Kayla. Verse 39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the winds ceased and there was a great calm. We want to start. We want to stop right there in the story, but Jesus doesn't stop there. But let me just say a little word about that. You, you look at it. It's a, it's what some people would call exorcist language, brother uh, Herbst, that Jesus is saying to creation what he says to demon spirits. And I just want to remind you that he is the Lord of all. And that when he says, we're going to the other side, it doesn't matter what's on the journey. You just cling to that promise in your darkest nights that we're going to the other side. That rebuke of the wind and the command of the ways is the language of creation. And it's fascinating to me that both times in this moment where Jesus speaks to the wind, and to the waves, and when he spoke creation into existence, he did it all based on his word alone. Creation hears that same, same tone, that same authority that spoke it into existence, and it has to obey. But Jesus doesn't just address his creation, he addresses his children. Verse 40 says, And he said unto them, Twofold rebuke. Because, Brother Trano, he not only rebukes the wind, he rebukes his disciples. Not to hurt them, not to harm them, but, Brother Benson, to help them reach for faith. To show them what they're lacking so that they can face their situation, their storm, their problem the right way. This is Jesus' solution to fearful disciples in a storm. He says, a twofold rebuke, Why are ye so fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? What does that mean, Brother Kelman? Well, they knew. 
They knew more than the crowds. Brother Hussey, he's, not only has he taught them, he's taught them parables, but he's explained those parables in details alone. They know enough about Jesus to trust him with this situation. They just lose sight of him because of their storm. What does that mean? We don't have time to deal with it. I'll just point this out. That when Jesus rebukes the storm, they, they show that, he said, how is it? How is it that he's able to do this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, showing, Brother Herbs, that they still don't get it when Psalm 89 and Psalm 104 and so many, oh, Psalm 106, Psalm 65, the, O Lord God of hosts, who is, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, singular, or thy faithfulness round about thee, thou rulest the raging of the seas. When the waves thereof rise, again, uh, thou stillest them. And again, they can't even see the fulfillment of this statement, uh, Isaac, that, that Jesus is saying, I'm not only a miracle worker, I not only cast out devils, I not only teach you about the kingdom and open up your understanding, I am the same God who has the same authority from the Old Testament. And they missed that revelation because the storm had somehow eclipsed what they already know. And I just want to remind somebody tonight that in the middle of a storm, you can tend to forget what you already know about Him. Sometimes Jesus has to come along and say to you something like this. My expectations of you are not unrealistic. The fact that I, you ready? I'm making you walk through this path. I have a purpose. We're going to get to the other side. And you're so worried about the circumstance that you're going through right now. You can't see, uh, even when I stand to the bow of the ship and I say, peace be still, then I'm showing you that I'm the one God of the Old Testament incarnate. You missed that revelation. How? How, Brother Kilman? How did they miss it? And, and, and you ready? Uh, sounds like church people to me. inexplicable from our easy chair from me drinking my cup of coffee this morning and reading shaking my head going don't they know the songs <laughs> unless they're real people and unless we're real people and like real people who should know enough to trust our temptation is when we face a storm to doubt what he's already promised us and so what Jesus says is, I need to help you face down your lack of faith. And understand who I am and not harden your heart to what you already know. Stand with me tonight. You, you go ahead and read through the Gospel of Mark and you'll see it, Sam. It just Jesus rebukes them again and again. Don't you understand? And how long will I suffer you? And, and, and you, got this, you got this kid that's got a demon spirit and you can't deal with it because you don't understand the authority even yet. All these problems and how did they get there? And It's the fear of the storm that blinded them to what they already knew, that overwhelmed their commitment to trust Him undermine their confidence that he even cared for them and compounded their lack of faith. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head with me tonight. I want to ask you some questions. Does it sometimes feel like Jesus is ignoring you when you need him most?
I, I know it does because I, I've lived long enough as a human being to know that that's something every one of us is going to have to face. When I know that you're a healer, Jesus, but you don't heal me. When you heal other people down the pew and you don't heal me or you don't heal my loved one, can I still say, Lord, I know enough about you to trust you in this moment until you can show me more? Are you tempted Jesus should keep you from every type of storm in life? Have you believed that lie that only works, by the way, in North America, that God heals every time, God provides every time? Only preaches well here, doesn't preach well in China where our brothers and sisters are dying for their faith. Doesn't preach well in India where they're being beat to death for their faith. But Jesus didn't say, I will keep you from storms. He said, I'll keep you through storms. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to somehow in your own life begin to say, Lord, whatever this issue is that I'm facing, I know I'm talking to people in this room. Maybe not everyone tonight. But I know some of your stories. I, I know that some of you are facing incredible challenges in your own families and in your own personal life. And here's what I want you to say. I want you to say, Lord, help me not to get my eyes so much on this issue that I forget that you really are in charge of life. You're in charge of my life. This storm is not in charge of my life. God, if I, if I somehow didn't need this in my life, you would take it out right now, but I'm going to cling to what I know about you, that you're good, that you love me, and even when I don't hear you and I feel like you're sleeping and not paying attention to my situation, help me somehow to cling to faith and say, you are still the Lord of all, and I want you to know, God, I'm going to stay right here in this boat, and you're going to take me to the other side. Man, I just feel like challenging somebody tonight. There's nobody in this room whose life is going to be the first one to disprove the promises of God. Your life, your situation, your circumstances is not going to make God a liar today. You can just say, God, I'm, I may not understand everything that's going on, but I can trust you tonight with my belief. I can cling to the faith, God, that I, yeah, I already know enough about you, Jesus. Come on, that's it. would somebody slip up a hand? I already know enough about you, Jesus, to trust you through this storm. Come on, that's it, Brother Kilman, but I, I've messed up. Maybe I put myself in some own circumstances. You don't think the God that knows the end from the beginning knows where you're at tonight? He knows how to get you into your future. And what you need to say is, Jesus, whatever you have for my life, help my heart to be open to your word. Help me not to be hard-hearted because of circumstances. I want to trust that you can take me through any storm. I don't want to lose sight of who you are in the midst of the chaos of life. Come on, young adult. I, can you see God working in the chaos in our culture? Can you see God in the storm of our culture? Can you see God creating an atmosphere of revival and saying, God, you put us in America right in the midst of this situation and I trust you to bring us through on the other side. There ain't nothing going to overcome us, Lord. You're going to watch over our family. As long as we stay with you, Jesus, everything is going to be okay.
Come on, let's see it. I'm trying to close down tonight. Would you, if it's appropriate, slip a hand on a neighbor's shoulder and begin to pray for each other? See, you don't know how, how somebody's struggling to whether or not they should just fly covertly through college and maybe I can just keep my head down long enough and I won't be made fun of and I can serve Jesus kind of on the down low and God's saying, if you will start to share your faith right now, I can use your life. Come on, don't operate in fear. Operate in faith. The miracle teaches us He can get us on the other side. And that we do not have to yield to fear. Come on, that's it. God, help us, help us, help us to see through the eyes of faith. Come on, what are you afraid about? He sees where you're at. Why do you have a lack of faith? Jesus says, I'm on your side. And I can accomplish everything that I purposed in your life. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Come on, that's it. We're in a moment of surrender. We'll just take a couple of moments here. But there are commitments that can be made in moments like this where people begin to understand, God, I can, I can really open my life and surrender it to Your Word and Your will and Your purpose. And You can do more with my life than what I can engineer on my own, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Would you begin to pray over here?